0: Are you Bailey told me he's like make sure to tape it. I got it. Okay. I got it right there. I think it is. Oh you're good. Yeah, yeah it's gone. Um my name is Joe and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Hello. Hello. My sobriety date is May 21st, 2007. Um I uh My goal that day was not to get sober. Uh it had never occurred to me to get sober. I, I mean it wasn't like I think I heard somebody say it was like the farthest thing from their mind, but it wasn't even like it was about as realistic or it, it was like if you had said you know you're gonna move to Mars or something like that I mean it just had never the thought had never ever occurred to me i I kind of knew that I had a problem with alcohol, but I just didn't um I just knew that if you know if I drank. I wanted to get hammered and I wanted to pretty much black out, so I just kind of controlled it a little bit, right? Like I would, I would just not drink, and I knew that in the back of my head, that but it never occurred to me like to stop, right? It never occurred to me to not to be sober. Um, that weekend, I was living in L.A. at the time, and uh, I uh, I was bartending at the Walt Disney Concert Hall, and uh, I met this girl to go on a date with her, and the last thing I remember was ordering a. Jim Beam on the rocks or Jim Beam I don't know on the rocks or something like that and a bottle of Budweiser and then some time later uh she had, like kicked me out of her car on Wilshire Boulevard and I was like screaming at her and I was I was blacked out or something I do remember kind of dimly coming out of a blackout and walking down walking down the the street and calling her and then having her say something about like having her come get me or something I don't know and I, I, I I saw her like two days later to pick up my wallet. I have no idea what I said. Uh, and I still think about that sometimes. Like, I mean, I, you know, she doesn't need to hear from me and I don't even really know if I could find her. But like, I don't know what I, like nobody's ever said anything so terrible to me while I was driving that I like kicked them out of the car and <laughs> left them there, right? Um, and I was, I was a really mean drunk. And, uh, you know, and I wish I could tell you that but that wasn't the first time that happened. That wasn't the second time. That wasn't the third time. Now probably wasn't even the 10th time. You know, uh, a couple of months before that, I had been to a bachelor party on, on Manhattan Beach. And I was with my high school buddies who were like snorting coke and hanging out with, well, whatever. They were doing a bunch of crazy drugs and they called my sister to come get me. Um, my little sister, right? I mean, I'm at a fucking bachelor party where people are doing drugs, illegal drugs and other shit and, and they call my sister to come get me because I'm that like out of control. Um, I only give you, I told Bailey, I tell one story, but there was a time when I was living in Omaha and I was at a party and I got in a fight when my sister was there she got in a fight with some buddy. And anyway, I ended up pushing this girl down and hitting this guy and then I ran off and I kind of like came out of a blackout like around dawn but I had no I had shorts on no shirt no wallet no phone no glasses no shoes no socks I'm walking down the road and this guy's jogging and I had no idea where I was I had just run out in the country I had no idea it was a couple hours right this guy tells me I asked him for a payphone, and he told me to go up the road and take a right and uh I went up and took a left and uh (laughs) He came back and he told me to sit down by the side of the road. He's like, I'm coming back. So I waited about 20 minutes. He came back in a minivan with his kid. And he thought I was on meth. The the kid, one of his sons, had been sober for a year and a half off of methamphetamines, and he thought that I had, you know, which makes sense right now that I know how the world works. and anyway, he, I said, no, you know, I'm not, I don't do drugs, man. I was like, I was just out drinking. And he remember he looked at me in the rearview mirror and I was sitting in the mid part of the band. he looked at me in the rearview mirror and he was like, you know, don't you think that maybe you should lay off that stuff? And I remember I was like, fuck no, you know, like it didn't even occur to me that that kind of stuff happens to me often and that I should stop drinking. Uh, I don't know what happened that night and, and, and that I finally did stop. I got in a, you know went out with that girl, came back the next day, I had to go to bartend, go to work again the next day. Uh, we had inventory all day so I started drinking again in the morning around 10. I remember I opened up a bottle of Belvedere vodka that morning and uh, by like nine o'clock at night it was gone. And we didn't have guns so I had these little like 10 ounce like club sodas. So I'd pour out half the club soda and pour the rest of the vodka and then just line them up at the bar for myself. Um, or, or behind the bar. I came back that night, my sister yelled at me and I don't, I don't know what happened, I guess is my point, right? Like we got in a huge fight. I ran off again. I was big on like just getting all hammered and like bolting out into the night. Um, and this time I don't know what happened either. Like I came back and I was all fucked up and my leg was all bruised and my knee was all messed up and I, my arm and I was, I don't know what happened. And, uh, And I remember her looking across the living room at me and I remember being like, I'm an alcoholic. And she was like, yeah. And I have no, I have no idea like, you know, why I said that or, or, and and it came on later when it comes to the third step, right? Like I can get all crusty about that. And I had trouble with God when I came in and I was raised Catholic and I can go on and on about that to you and I'd be happy to. But you know, the reality of it is, it's like, whatever, now that I've worked a lot with alcoholics too, I don't know what got through that night. Like why I realized that everything that had been, I was 30 years old at that time. I had just turned 30. Why everything that had gone wrong in my life up until then was because of alcohol. Like it was like the biggest math problem had just like appeared in front of me and I just had the solution, right? Like my friends were getting married. My friends were getting careers. My friends were not going insane when they drank. And it was because I was an alcoholic. Um, well, Brady told me, I'll tell one more story. Before that, sometime a couple years before that, I went to a wedding. And uh, I got all drunk at the wedding. And I, me and this dude were like the bachelors, right? So we had this like suite. And we had a lot of room in there. And it was a big wedding. And they put all the presents in the room like a hundred and something, you know, all the presents. I got all hammered that night, blackout drunk, and opened all of them. And, and, uh, and uh, I don't remember it. And I remember I woke up in the bed and there was like a cutting board next to me and like some appliance or something, I don't know. And like the thing that I remember too was there was so much paper, like in boxes. Like it was like one of those ball pits, you know, like just paper and boxes and shit everywhere. And my buddy came in, and I'm still friends with some of these guys, and he came in like, and I could see his eyes. He had like, there was like, glee. Like, he was astonished, but he was also like, this is fucked up, dude. <laughs> uh, and he was just like astonished, you know? I could still see his eyes. And uh, he was like, what the fuck did you do? And I was like, yeah. I don't know. And the weird thing about that, what I think about that now is like, I didn't, I didn't call anybody. I didn't apologize. I don't even know. I'm sure I felt bad on some level somewhere. I feel terrible now. But I just left, right? I had made plans that day. I wasn't going to go. They were going to come get the presents. That's what he was coming up to the room to do, to get the presents, take them down to this like van. And they were going to go to this house and watch some college football that day or something like that. I grew up in Nebraska. Anyway. And I didn't – I just said I don't know and I don't remember. I mean I was still pretty, probably pretty drunk. And then I had made plans to go to Denver. It was in Colorado Springs, and I just left. Um, and then, you know, I don't know. I never heard about it again, or that marriage ended up ended really badly. Um, so maybe it got lost in there. But, like, I was just, like, dead inside. Um, like I said, that kind of stuff happened all the time. And I was not able to control how much I drank, and I had no idea what was going to happen when I drank. That was for sure. Um, That night in in L.A. was the same thing. And, uh... I told my sister I was an alcoholic that night. I don't really know what to do. I had no, uh... There's a lot of alcoholism in my family. Tons of it, actually. But nobody gets sober. Like, it's not one of those little stories where, like... You know... I can tell you, nobody nobody gets sober. Um, They die angry. And they live a long time, too. Which is almost worse. And... uh, it's not pretty. And I didn't know about AA. I had no idea what to do. And that's another weird thing. Like admitting I'm an alcoholic, I'm not even sure what I knew what I was admitting at that point. My sister had a friend of hers who had been sober a while. She was really young, like 21. And she told me to call this girl, Jessie. And so I waited like, you know, 10 days and I called this girl and she asked me some questions and, and I you know, answered them honestly. And then she was like, okay, well, I'll take you to a meeting. And uh, she picked me up. I don't know. It was a Tuesday or something like that, a Wednesday. And I remember being really hot. Uh, it was probably early June at that point. And uh, we went to this little, wet, little meeting uh, in Hollywood on Sunset and Vine called the Bliss Art House Cafe. And uh, it's kind of a weird little meeting. It's, now that I've gone to a lot more meetings, it's not like... It's kind of like what I would call like a, it doesn't have a strong fellowship. It's like people cruise in after work and they cruise on out, right? It's got meetings all day, but people just kind of come in, hit a meeting and go. And uh, I went to that meeting and I sat, I remember like leaning down. It was, sometimes it can be busy. and I remember leaning down next to like the coffee. There's like a, it's a coffee house. So like the 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 counter, I remember squatting down there and sort of like pleading with my eyes, right? Like, I don't know how, anyway, these guys came up to me very gingerly and they asked me if I was new. And I don't know, it was like now that I've been around a little more, this was like Big City A where there's not like, they weren't all over me. They were just like, hey, I told them a little bit about myself and the guys were like, all right, they gave me a big book and the guy was like, well, why don't you go home and read the doc's opinion and uh, see if you can relate and uh, if you think you can, come back. I never saw those guys again. Uh, I have no idea who they are. I've been to that meeting every time I go back to LA, which is as often as possible, I try to, I go to that meeting. Um, I've never seen anybody there that I've recognized. And uh, I don't even know if those guys know what kind of gift they gave me, you know? I mean, that's the thing, like the little things that we do around here, like you don't, we don't know what, what we're giving somebody, right? I mean, those guys essentially gave me my whole life. I mean, I had to like do the work, but Just like the fact that they were like, oh, this guy looks really like he needs somebody to talk to him. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I went to that meeting and I got a sponsor and I had set these plans in motion for a while before that to go back to school because I felt like that was the thing that was wrong, like something was wrong and I was trying to figure it out. Um, So I had applied to go back to graduate school uh, like a couple years before or not a couple years, like, you know, that takes like a while. So like a year before. And so I met this guy and I asked to be my sponsor. And this was, you know, June, late May when I got, when I quit drinking and then June. And I mean, I didn't know what I was doing, right? Like I meet this guy and he asked me like, well, what's your, he asked me, are you God? And I was like, no. And he was like, good. And then he was like, well, what's something that's more powerful than you? And I was like ocean man he's like all right and that was i mean i don't know like we're doing the steps but i had no idea what i was doing um and on top of that like i was gonna move right so i was going back to school that august and i know now how dangerous that is i mean if i sponsored a guy for like six weeks and he's like i'm going back to school across i mean, it was columbia missouri where i went back to school i wouldn't say anything but i would just be like you're fucked you know like I mean, nobody stays sober, right? I mean, I've sponsored a lot of guys and I've seen a lot of people come through these rooms and nobody stays sober. I mean, some people do, but it's pretty rare. Um, But he was cool, he didn't say anything, he just was like, you know, he sponsored me as well as he could and then he sent me on my way. And uh, I left LA in like July and I haven't moved back since, although I've tried a million different ways. It just hasn't worked out. And I know now how dangerous that is, right? I had like worked maybe step one. I mean, I guess I did. I didn't know I did, but I had. And then two and three, we talked about it a little bit. I certainly didn't do four or five. Um, And I was really like fragile. I remember one of those guys at one of those meetings said that I I was interested in like going to young people's meetings. And I heard about like Hollywood young people's. And one of these guys was like, no, don't go down there. And uh, now that I've been to a lot more young people's meetings, I know that like it can get pretty rowdy and I was just like not able to handle that. If any of you guys go to like young people's meetings or like Ikepa or something like that, it's it's unbelievable fun. But it's – I was not able to handle that like level of rowdiness, right? <clears throat> I needed a bunch of like old timers who were just fucking chill. So I, I moved and uh, and this was a dangerous time, right? I moved to Columbia, Missouri and – I was sober. What, like three months? Um, man, I, you know, I, I found a good meeting there, called the Young People's Group that was on campus, but I was terrified to go. So I went to this ritual for like the first um, nine months, <laughs> where I would like be normal all week, and then I would get super nervous before I go to the meeting on Friday, and uh, so I would like try not to smoke. And then I would get all crazy and so I'd walk – I didn't have a car. I had a car but anyway, I had to like take this shuttle to campus. So I'd walk really far to this gas station because I smoked like regular Camel non-filters, the only gas station that had them. So I'd buy a pack of cigarettes by like 10 and chain smoke all day and then go to the meeting and then like leave right after the meeting and then like just go to this Sonic by my apartment and get some like fucking Sonic. And then – and I would do that. I did that continuously, right? I didn't have a sponsor. I would just go – and I was like terrified to talk to you. Um, I was terrified of the group. The fellowship has come really hard for me or it, it's okay now, but it didn't come easy. And, uh, I did that right. And you can imagine how, you know, sober I was, which wasn't very. And, uh, you know, I hadn't drank or anything, but, and I was around it a lot, but I was still terrified, right? Like all those, I mean, I was really terrified. Anyway, one night I was on the treadmill at the gym and uh, this little voice in my head was like the meeting started at 7:30 and it was like 7:45. And this little I had a really bad Friday. And this little voice inside my head was like you need to go down, you need to go to that fucking meeting and you need to ask this guy Kevin Burns to be your sponsor. And you know, I listened to that voice, right? And again, I I will be happy to get on my high horse about the third step in god and whatever but i know now that i have a higher power and i do if i listen i hear him or her or whatever it is right and that was my higher power being like get off this treadmill and go down there and ask this guy to be your sponsor and i did and we worked the steps and it wasn't great and he relapsed i'm not even sure if he's alive but you know i did we did the steps as best we could together at that time and uh i did a i did a fourth and a fifth step with him and you know i could say my my fourth step wasn't great at the time and it wasn't right but and there were some things i held i held back because i wasn't ready to talk about him and i knew it i remember laying on my living room floor and being like and he was like is there anything else and i was like uh no and there was there was distinctly a couple things and i didn't drink over those things but i I had to deal with those things like it sometimes it took a couple years or even longer, but one of them I'm still sort of a little but, but my point is is like you don't have to do this perfectly, right? I really wanted to stay sober and I really knew that I was an alcoholic a hundred percent there was no question in my mind that I was an alcoholic and That I am an alcoholic and I wanted to stay sober and I did the steps poorly But I did them honestly it was the best that I could do and uh, I don't know where, I moved again, because I finished school, and I was really slow, right? So by the time, I got a sponsor after like nine months. So by the time, and it took me a while to work the steps, so I think I moved in 2009 with like two years, but I was on on like step like six and seven. Um, Although he told me, after I finished the fifth step, he was like, you know, read that part in the book, and it's like you lay there for an hour, and, and then I went and got McDonald's, and, uh, and I thought, like, this is great, right? You do five, six, and seven. You get all that done right away. And I've since learned that it's much, much, six and seven are much bigger than that. Um, but I, like I said, I did the best I could. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> grad school there was weird because I did terrible. And I did, as an active alcoholic, I was very good. And uh, that was my second time through grad school as well. I went to college and I did really well and I majored in Latin and I went to grad school young and did ancient Greek there and whatever. But my point I'm making is like, like something opened up, right? Like what I got out of that was I went to this really great meeting and I, and I, I started to have relationships with people for the first time, like to have friends and uh, and I was an isolator of even amongst alcoholics. I was a pretty uh, big isolator. And uh there was a t- I lived in Wisconsin for a while, there was a time when I didn't talk to anybody for like I don't know, two months. I just sort of did my thing, went to the library, talked to librarians, went to the bar. And uh And that's I mean that's like that's A working, right? Like you know, I could talk forever about all the weird shit that happened and when I drank and all the bad stuff and more stories and whatever. But when I was living in Missouri, it was a – I remember I went to a meeting and it was a big deal when I, I realized that like – that I needed you and you didn't need me. And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just went to a lot of meetings there and I actually like started to make friends and just like talk to people and people talked to me. And then I did all the stupid stuff like you go to the barbecue, you go to get pizza and <laughs> – <laughs> and it's never about that. You know, it's not about the barbecue. It's not about the pizza. The fellowship is not about the pie. It's not about the coffee. It's not about any of that. It's about, like a lot, we grow up in here, right? Like we are re-socializing into the world via this AA. And, uh, and I just can't, there's something that I was getting, right? Like I was getting fed something that I had never been fed before. And I'm not like super spiritual. I'm not like a crazy Jesus dude. Uh, I was doing the steps terribly. I just showed up and and I got a service commitment. That's the other thing I wanted to tell you about. I really struggled with, with fellowship and I really struggled with getting integrated into the group. And a big breakthrough moment for me was, you know, they had the group conscience and I went and then I got elected to be the coffee chair and the coffee chair at that meeting also had to do cleanup. And you also were responsible for the big books and the meeting was kind of like this and there was like some cabinets in the back and there was a bunch of the really big, big hardcover big books and you had to t- get them all get all the books out, put one on the chairs before the meeting. And then you had to pick them all up and then clean up the coffee. So it was come early, make coffee, put the books out, put those stupid boxes back get the boxes back out, pick up all the books, and then clean up the coffee. And what it really did for me was, it helped, gave me something to do while you were around so I didn't feel so stupid, and I could not focus on how stupid I felt, and I could just hang out and chill while you were doing your thing, right? Like, you're doing your thing, you guys are smoking, you guys are cool, (coughs) whatever. I am gonna die inside, but I'm doing the books. And then you're like, hey, Joe, and I'm like, hey, And then you go about your day or you go about your night and the coffee, the commitment was like three months. And by the end of three months, like I would know your name or you would know my name. And that is a big fucking deal to have people know like, Hey Steve, Hey Sarah, I don't know your name, whatever. Um, and that meant a lot to me and it just made me feel less self-conscious and I stopped leaving right after. And I also, they also gave me a lot of shit, right? Like I remember once I actually did the, like, they're like, where are you going? I was like I gotta go home and do my laundry and they were like you don't have fucking laundry dude or if you do you can do it later you can still go get pizza and that's right I can I can go get pizza and I can do my laundry later it was really really hard for me to just like be present for that right like to be present for your for your friendship and for the fellowship and just to let people in um I don't know that was kind of the stuff that I was burying with alcohol right like by being blackout drunk at every social function ever, I thought that I was like, what is it, a social lubricant? But essentially I was just not present anymore, right? Like I had just, I'm blackout drunk, I don't know what's going on, I'm gonna go crazy, and I'm just not there, I'm not actually at this event, I'm who knows where. Um, So that, I finished like through the steps, I got my two year coin in Missouri, no one year coin, two? Yeah, two. That was 2009, and then shit got really weird. Um, I went back to school for journalism, and uh, this was 2009, and the economy was, you know, in the apocalypse in terms of, like, the media. And so, I, you know, luckily I didn't think about it, right? Like, and this is another thing. If I, if I hadn't been sober, I would've been engineering everything, right? Like, I would've been, I need a job, freaking out and whatever, and I didn't do any of that. I remember, I would, I would talk to these old timers about how I needed a job and the market was terrible and nobody was getting a job and newspapers are laying off people left and right. And this old so guy looked at me and he'd be like, how do you know that someone's just not going to call you and offer you a job? And I was like, well, that never happens. That's happened like three times now in my life in sobriety. And the best job I've ever had is the one I have right now that somebody called me and offered me a job. Because it happens. Long story short, is like I was just doing a bunch of AA, right? I wasn't really doing school. I was it was – I mean, I – did enough to graduate, but I had to go back a year later and take care of some stuff. But I was doing a bunch of AA. In between there, I'll kind of do some school. I filled out some random internship application in, in DC, and I got it. And it was paying like 10 bucks an hour. Uh, it was horrible. So, for DC at least. So anyway, but I t- took it, right? So I went, I moved to DC. And none of this, I had no plans. I had no idea what was going on. I just sort of was like, going with the flow. I was doing a bunch of AA all the time. I had this little book that I had kind of makes me feel old, but I didn't have a smartphone then. And I, and so when I, would, when I would move, this guy said, well, why don't you look up some meetings, like find your find where you're going to live and then look up some meetings nearby and write them down. And then, and then I said, okay. And then he's like, why don't you, you know, map out directions for yourself. This is before smartphones and like Google maps and stuff. Well makes Google maps is probably around, but So I did that. I found some meetings near near the place that I was living in Maryland and I wrote out the directions and I had it. And then when I, and he's like, when you go, the first thing you do is drop off your shit and go to a meeting. And I did that. And that's like by my MO, I probably moved 10 times since then. And every time I move, the first thing I do is go to a meeting as soon as I get to a place. And if you move in sobriety, it's really hard, but I would say that that is a great plan. It's just go to a meeting. I think I came here. I came here in October of last year to look for apartments. And I came here, and then I came back to this meeting at eight o'clock. Uh, my sister and I moved here on November 30th of last year, and uh, I came here that night, just to get a meeting in. I moved to Maryland, and you know things are at this point are in the job market are ridiculous, right? And I can fast forward this quite a bit. I was going to move probably five or six times. That was 2009. I wasn't going to actually get a regular job, a full-time job, until 2011. It was a lot of like internships. I was in D.C., I was in Dallas, I was in New York for like 10 months. I'll get to that. I was in Omaha with my parents and all along in there, I just would go to meetings, right? Like I I kept going to meetings and I can't, in my opinion, I've seen people do a lot of stuff wrong in sobriety and besides not drinking or not using, I would say the number one thing is going to meetings. The steps are important. The steps changed my life. But if I don't, if you're not going to meetings, if I'm not going to meetings, then I don't even know who to, who to talk to about, about getting a sponsor. I don't know who to talk to about, about doing the steps, right? Like I can't just meet somebody at H-E-B, like, hey, you wanna do the steps? It's not gonna fucking work. And that Not th- just got me through, you know? It's kind of, I moved a lot, and I asked a the guy there to be my sponsor, I think his name was John, but I was only in D.C. like 10 weeks, and it's kind of hard to like, build a relationship with a man when you're not there that often. But I just went to meetings. And I had no idea, you know, I was applying for jobs and I was terrified. I had, I, I remember smoking cigarettes in this park across the street from the office that I worked in and just being like fucking terrified because people are not getting jobs and I didn't really have any job skills, right? I didn't, I mean journalism, I had done some stuff but I, I, didn't really, I hadn't really worked anywhere and I didn't even like it. I wouldn't go back and do that again. I wish I had stayed in LA but that's a whole other story. Um, So I moved back in with my parents in Omaha, applying for jobs, going to meetings all the time. My parents lived in Council Bluffs, Iowa. A little voice inside my head said I should get a job at at a local hotel to pass the time, so I did that. And this guy at a meeting in Council Bluffs was like – he looked at me one day and he's like, look, man. He's like, this is reality. You're going to get a job eventually. And I was like, okay. And then he's like, you're going to live with your parents forever? And I said no. And he said, well, try to enjoy it now because you're not going to be around forever. So try to fucking enjoy it because it's going to be limited. and You're going to wish when you get older that you had not been a jerk while you're living with your parents for this time. And he was totally right. My parents are still alive, but I actually tried to do that. Like I tried to not be an asshole and I tried to pay attention and I tried to just like be present for that time with my parents. And that alone is like, like not something that I would normally do, right? To sit and think and be like, you know, I'm going to try to be present for this time with my parents. Uh I mean, I, I had, like, no job. I had no girlfriend. Like, pretty really much wanted to do was, like, fucking hang out, get laid, which wasn't going to happen, and not be present with my parents, right? But I, I, I listened. Like, I listened. And that was the thing that, that A is, like, being able to take a suggestion. When some guy's telling me something, I'm like, yeah, this is – I'll get back to that guy at the end. But eventually somebody called me and said, hey, do you want a job? And I said, sure. And this was a job in New York City. I had never ever aspired to live in New York. Um, I'd never even been there, but I needed a job. And so I packed up my stuff in a little bag. I found an apartment on Craigslist. And I sent them money before I saw it, which is a bad idea. It worked out OK, but I learned later on that, like, you shouldn't do that. But, like, somebody was taking care of me. So I show up, and they actually had an apartment for me. And so I started working as an, as an intern at this um, nonprofit. <coughs> And that, you know, was what it was, right? Like, New York City is like the wonderland of AA. Uh, I mean, there's like meetings all the time, 24 hours a day. There's got to be what, every week there's got to be like 2,000 meetings in Manhattan alone. I mean, there's just like AA everywhere. And people are fucking, have New Yorkified it, right? Like, they are just not fucking around about it, you know? And, uh, And it's just great. You go to these meetings and these weird little, like locations are like tucked in corners and tucked in alleyways and in attics. And like there's people from all over and you see like famous people that are like well, blow your mind and they're just like there like with a coffee commitment. And, and it's just wild, man. And, and you could just go to meetings all the time and I did. And um, I met a guy there named Robin who I still talk to. And uh, well, we had this meeting in Brooklyn and we were like the only white people at this meeting. And he would always stand up when he shared which I thought was just like crazy. He would stand up and just like declaim his like share. And um, I asked him to be my sponsor and he was like, okay. And we started meeting at the Dunkin' Donuts across the street. And uh, it was an 11 o'clock, 11 step meeting. And, uh, but they would read the whole 11 step out of the 12 and 12 every meeting. So he started wanting to skip it. He's like, look, man, how many times have you read the 11th step and 12 and 12? And I was like, a lot. He's like, well, let's just wait until, like, noon when they're sharing. Which I thought that was, like, like this guy's my sponsor and he's, like, breaking rules. I thought that was just wild. We got up. I think I pretty much – I think I wanted to start over with the steps with him. And he was kind of resistant. He's like, man, you can't keep doing the steps over and over again. Or you can, but, like, I think he – Anyway. We, I, I did them over again with him. I did another fourth and fifth step with him. And it was better this time. And I left some st- things off again. Some of the same ones I left off the first time. And uh, I only keep bringing that up because I, I want to make sure that people realize that you can do this like, really wrong. The key has been, it really is honesty. And I've worked all the steps as honestly as I could. and I wanted to stay sober and I was willing to listen. Um, and that's been the key for me. I was there for 10 months, and then you know, I well, again, I had no idea what was gonna happen. I knew no where anything was gonna go. Somebody called me and offered me a job. This one was in Dallas. I was in Dallas for three months. I didn't get a sponsor there. I mean, the, meet, the mar- this was in 2010. Everything was crazy. Went to some meetings there. I ended up getting a job in Des Moines. I was in Des Moines for six months. People got laid off there. I was back in New York. And the crazy thing about being back in New York was this was for a full-time job back at the original place was there this meeting I went to every day at 1.30. And I don't even think that they realized that I had been gone for like eight <laughs> months, right? Like you go to the same meetings all the time, you see the same people, and it was kind of like a work meeting where people come in, eat lunch, and then go back to work. I remember there was this guy named Peter. I remember I sat next to him and he was just like, oh, where you been? And I, and I was like, oh, I've been gone for a while. He's like, oh, and that was it, right? Like, and that was my realization. You see the same people at the same meetings, and that's, that's how this is done. At that time, I was in New York for two years, two and a half. And uh, I got really, really involved in the, a group there on the uh, Lower East Side called Young and Wise, which is still kind of pretentious of a name. But uh, it was, <laughs> I was going to meetings, I was going to meetings with a bunch of people who were like old timers, and who were a lot older than I was. And a little voice inside of my head was like, you know, I was four or five years sober at this time, and um Little Voice was like, hey man, you need to uh start meeting some people your own age. Like I need to meet people who are my peers and not just like, you know, gonna be my sponsor or whatever. I got involved with that group and that was great. And uh, I did a lot of service with that group. And then I got laid off from the journalism job and ended up moving to San Antonio. Um at that point I wanted to get out of the media, so I worked hard on doing that in San Antonio. But in a lot of ways, like after all that time, I was like six years sober when I was in San Antonio, but in a lot of ways, like, my real sobriety happened in San Antonio. I was there a long time, and I got really involved. And the whole, like, socialization process, like, really started to happen where I started to do things in sobriety that that you should do, right? Like, I think it's good to, like, date and be in relationships. And I remember i got gotten one when I was six years sober, and I thought, like, man, I'm, I'm fucking gold, right? I'm six years sober. I got a good job. No. Uh-huh. That... that I was not gold um, and uh, since then I started going to Al-Anon, which is a whole nother thing. But I got really involved in, in AA in San Antonio and I got involved in a couple of young people's groups. I got involved in regular AA and I just kind of went crazy there. And that was where things really, I did the steps again and that was really where things have, have taken off in a lot of ways. Right. And, and, By that I mean in my life outside of the rooms. I think it's important that people uh, that we get a life outside of AA, right? We don't we don't do this just to just to go to meetings. But it took me a long time, like almost seven years, to really start to pursue life outside of the rooms. And uh, you know I don't, you know people people get up here and they talk about this stuff and they always go through the steps and like lay it out there and. And I wish I could do that, but I can't. Like, I don't. Like, I did step eight. I've done it a couple times, and I made amends to people. And I do step ten, but I don't. I don't really know like what I got out of doing them, right? I can't give you. I can't give you a cool list of like this is how it worked. The promises have come true in my life. I don't know how, right? I can't tell you. I'm. I'm much different than I was. Twelve and a half years ago, um, and I almost like say this like out of. I almost wish it weren't true because I came in as such like a naysayer about like God and I went to like Jesuit schools and we read like Nietzsche and I was all like all that shit and the reality of it is is like I can't tell you why it works. I can't tell you like how it got through or, or the grace that happened that I was admitted that I was an alcoholic and that I was starting to willing to take the steps and listen to another man who was like going to tell me things that I didn't want to hear that were hard to hear. Or I don't know how, I just don't know how it worked. I don't know. I don't know how this works. I just know that it does. And, uh, you know, I've sponsored a lot of guys and they try every single thing other than just to do this and it, nothing works, man. Like nothing works. I think going to meetings, getting a sponsor, getting a service, come in, working the steps, pray and meditate. But I did that late. Like I prayed way late, right? Like I had like 10 years before I started praying and meditating, seriously. Um, if you want to stay sober, I would get a sponsor. I would work the steps. I would get a home group. I would get a service commitment. I would go to as many meetings as you could. And I bet if you do all that, I'll be willing to bet that prove to me that you're not sober by doing that. I would like to see that happen. I guess you could just keep drinking and doing it, but I bet you still would not drink. Um, I... Uh, I have spent a lot of time in the past like two years at my higher power. I was in San Antonio when things were going really good. Um, you know, when I was someone who, I've always wanted to go back to LA, but, and I really tried that first year in San Antonio, but I, uh, I doubled down, right? Like somebody told me that you should bloom where you're, I should bloom where I'm planted, and, and so I was like, okay. And I was going to do the San Antonio life, which was like get married, have kids, like buy a little house. Um, and I really liked San Antonio. But things happened that, that, that wasn't gonna be my life there, right? And uh, I had a relationship that, that didn't work out last year. And that little voice that I have, somewhere be, the relationship not working out, out of that little voice was like, you know, you should move to Austin. I had kind of been kicking it around. My sister, the one I lived with in LA, moved in with me. That's a whole other story, um, but it's been really good. She's been sober like seven years. She didn't get sober until I stopped talking to her for like three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> And that, it's that little voice, right? That little voice is my higher power, that little voice that I listen to is like you should you should move." And I tried to push it off, and uh, eventually I listened, and I went and asked my boss, and he was like, "Yeah, that's, that sounds like a, that sounds like a fine idea." And I was like, "Really?" He's like, yeah, we've been – we're running out of space in this office. So yeah, I think uh. – and so I still put it off, right? Two months later, the, my boss's boss comes up to me. and He's like, I thought you moved. Weren't you moving to Austin? And I was like, well, no. He's like, well, what's your problem? Are you going or are you staying? And I was like, well, I guess I'm going. Um, and so I'm here now. And uh, that's turned out to be the best decision – one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, and th- this move has been hard. I don't, you know, they're always hard and I moved a lot. And if anybody's going to move, I'll give you my number. Or you think about moving because I have done it a ton. And, uh, I feel like I could have my own panel at a conference on moving. <laughs> and, uh, and it, this, I thought this move would be really easy because I, I was really active in San Antonio and I got really involved in a lot of this like young people stuff and these bids for conferences. And I knew a lot of people when I was already here, but it, it was hard in that what made it hard was I tried to pretend that my sobriety is going to be this like the same as it was in San Antonio when it was here. And I know now that, and I've learned it before that moving in sobriety, the only way to make it really good is like I had to throw away everything that happened and I have to pretend like I'm brand new and it's different here. Right? Like my experience in Austin has got to be, it's got to be new again and it's got to be like I'm at year one in Austin and you know, I'm, I would have picked up my year coin, November 30th for my year in Austin. And and I feel like I'm, you know, I've been sober a while, and I know what to do, but none of that counts, right? Like I'm not integrated, I'm not here, the city's different, I'm different, I'll be different in this city. And um, and I kind of fought that for a while, until around like June or July. And then when I just gave in, and I was like, you know what? I got, it's new, I've, I've gotta be just a newcomer here. And I've just gotta do everything that I did when I was when I was new and I was at year one, I said yes to everything. You could go have pie, you go have coffee, service come in. I have like two home groups. Do this thing, do that thing. I would say yes to everything. I just wanted to be involved. And I'm not as terrified as I was. But I had to get – I got pretty miserable this summer. Um, and I had been pretty miserable that, that spring before I relented. Um, and what it's like now – I don't know where I'm at with this, but – It's good. <laughs> I, uh, it's not the same though, right? Like I remember when I was a couple months over. there was this guy in LA who had two years and he was worried about a job situation. And I remember thinking that guy's got two years, man. Like I remember looking at him and being like, man, when you got two years, it is going to be perfect. Like how could you possibly have struggled at two years? And I know now at like fucking 12 and a half, it gets crazy. And I was talking with my sponsor la- uh, last Thursday, And he's got like 30 some years, right? And I know now that just because this guy has 30 years, that there's part of me that's gonna be like, man, when I have 30 years, I bet it's just gonna be smooth sailing. And it's not. It's not smooth sailing at 12 and a half. In some ways I can be more miserable now than I was when I was drinking because when I was drinking I was such a zombie asshole that like I could ruin this guy's wedding and not even apologize, right? Like I I I felt nothing about that. And now I feel a lot of things all the time. And uh, I can't control them. <laughs> and they come on like, they just come on me. And that's been hard to deal with in <clears throat> and sobriety. And I think it took me a long time to get my feelings back um, and to figure them out. And uh, I think I need to, I don't, I'm running out of stuff to talk about. Um, I was told by a friend of mine to, to plug this event tomorrow which will mm-hmm. be the uh, – a group of us are bidding for Icky Pop, which is the International Conference for Young People in AA. And there will be a uh, karaoke and hot chocolate bar event at Recovery Unplugged tomorrow at 7. And uh, it should be pretty fun. <clears throat> I, uh, I feel a little weird sometimes being involved in that. Like I just turned 43 last week. <laughs> but th- that, was part of, that was part of like my – my, um, of my struggle this summer, right? Like I go to a lot of meetings and I go to like regular hay a lot too. And I got, I was going to a meeting on on Monday nights at the spider house. It's really a young meeting and I'm definitely one of the oldest people there. If not the oldest, um, sometimes, but I would go to that meeting and I would tell myself that I didn't need to go or I shouldn't go. And then I would leave that meeting and I'd be driving down. I 35 back. I live up by like radio coffee and, uh, and this little voice would be like, why the fuck would you not go to a meeting that makes you feel this good? Like I would just go and hang out and, you know, sit in the back or do whatever, clean up because these kids don't clean up after themselves. <laughs> and, uh, and then it finally just rained down on me like, yeah, why don't you go, man? Why don't you go and get a searchman <clears throat> at this group and participate in a place where the sobriety is great and where you feel welcome and at home and whatever. And... uh I don't know why it was so hard for me to, to, you know, let go of my own preconceived notions about what things are going to be like in Austin or how I should be or what my sobriety should look like. Um, But I did. And it's been great. And uh, the last thing I will end with is that guy that told me that I should uh, be present for my parents. He was at this meeting in Council Bluffs and uh, he would chair this meeting a lot I don't now that I think about it he probably chaired it too much but he would always read he would always end the meeting uh, with the last three paragraphs of a vision for you mm-hmm. and uh, I always lose my shit when I do this but mm-hmm. I uh, we talked I, can't, I don't know mm-hmm. we talked about it one night mm-hmm. it's always so hard for me to do this and uh, he explained this to me and we talked about it and I realized that like what I like most about these three paragraphs is that uh like when I came in I had no fucking confidence. I had no self-esteem. I had no like sort of get up and go, right? Mm. And uh and when you when you read these last three paragraphs, like they are not <clears throat> there's nothing indefinite about them. It's mo- it's mostly imperative statements, right? The, the confidence, the, the certainty of these three paragraphs it's clear, right? Like, this is how it works. At the end of how it works, at the end of, the, of explaining the whole program, it's like, this is what, what it's going to be like. And there's no doubt in there. And I didn't have any kind of, like, doubtlessness like this. And so I always like to read this. <clears throat> Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will just constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick or woman. May God bless you and keep you until then. That's all. Thanks. Thank you), Thank you.